You are now tuned in to the Gifted Gab. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to One K Convos on the Gifted Gab. I had a special guest today, Andrew Parker. You guys may have seen him on the Gifted Gab before. We got into a lot of cool topics and, and important topics. You know, we talked about. What do we talk about, man? Talk about the Black Teachers Association of Alberta. What's up, family? Talk about the Pride of the North Side, August 13, 14, 2022. And also the state of the culture, man, in the city of Edmonton, Alberta, and Canada. You guys heard it here first. It's going to be a great episode, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Love. <laughs> We're gonna start right now. Start on me and then ready? Yes, sir. Let's do it. <clears throat> We're here, man. We're here. It took a little while, a little longer setup than usual. <laughs> <laughs> but uh we made it. We made it. Appreciate you being here, man. It's your second time on the gifted gap. It's Godfather Part Two, man. They say the part two is always better than part one. So let's make it let's make it memorable, man. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, you've been doing a lot of big things since the last time we spoke. Black teachers associations popping. A lot of work, you know, with the city and the schools and, and, and getting things just off the ground. And we got Pride of the North Side back again after a two year hiatus. Yeah. Um <clears throat> It's been a busy time, brother. Very busy. Um, BTA is taken off. Got to give a shout out to the family in Calgary, uh, Matt Sire. Um, he's been instrumental in the work that we've been doing, connecting with each other. Uh, not even just, it's beyond Black History Month now. It is um, pushing in every single direction for change um, and doing it together, doing it collectively. Um, never being alone again. That's that's the commitment uh, for our community of educators. Um, so shout out to Sarah Adamakawansa. And I have to say this as well, because we're going to hold on to her as long as we can before she becomes the first black female prime minister of Canada. Um, that's the type of energy she brings to the game. And she's currently working with the Canadian Museum of Human Rights. Um, and quite a few of us were able to get like new jobs, new opportunities on the strength of what we just decided to do. Um, shortly after the tragic events of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. So um, it's been a busy time, but it's been productive, it's been meaningful, and it's been everything that we've actually desired out of it and more. So blessings. I love to hear that. And, you know, a question I always think about when I see the work being done, Are we, is the needle moving? Hmm. It's a big, big question that requires a big answer. But I don't think I'll provide a big answer. I'll just give a short one. The needle's moving, but we need more people to push that needle. Period. Um, and it ain't even a needle. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if this mic stand was like 7,000 pounds heavy. And there's a bunch of us really leaning on as much as we can. And we're going as far as we can. But imagine if everybody was leaning in the same direction at the same time with the same force all together um then we could break down that door and finally start talking about you know what is education going to look like in the next year two three four five six seven what's going to look like for my son and my daughter um is it truly going to become inclusive um are our jobs going to be truly equitable for all um i mean it's great to have the holidays celebrated and this and that but 
you know, if we have schools named after black people, indigenous people, South Asian people, um, do we have the teachers that represent those communities that have that name? These are big questions. Um, I think honestly, at this point in time, it's groups such as ourselves, um, such as the indigenous uh, community of educators, um, anti-racism uh, initiatives that are truly um, founded on the principles of anti-racism and not just branding or marketing or, or as one of my <laughs> elder statesmen said, um, window dressing. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be more than that. It has to be what are our practices? Are we actually holding ourselves accountable? Um, and that's from the top down, bottom up, or outside in, inside out. So this is the level of commitment that we are engaged in right now as educators, as black educators, but also as uh, educators who understand that there's a lot of marginalized communities searching for, for different things in academia. Um, and I forgot to even say this, like I'm pursuing a master's right now in educational policy studies, a specialization in social justice um, in international studies. And when I'm done that, I have a, I'll have a better feeling of, of where we are in terms of the work that we're doing with the Black Teacher Association of Alberta. It's dope work. It's dope to see. First of all, before I continue, just t tilt your mic towards you. This part, yeah, the top part. Oh, like down? Yeah, down, yeah. So okay. we catch everything. We Perfect. Miss anything you're saying. Right on. Um, I love that there's more initiative, more movements, more... Um, action towards making it you know equitable right. on a policy level like you're trying to expect schools and, and change in, in the education system where i think it all starts from you know we were talking earlier about how it's very difficult to change the status quo status quo you know especially when you know how do you even define status quo right um who defined that? Who created that term? What is what is the what's the synonymous term um, in multiple languages? If we're talking semantics, and we're going deep down the hole now, but what is considered normal is normal for whom, mm -hmm. right? Um, in our community, what's normal is to have if a parent's not involved, an uncle or an auntie or a community member to come support an imam, a pastor. Um, someone who's an esteemed elder to be there for that youth. Um, what if a community was asking for that to be embedded into the system and now it's the second year that they're asking for that same thing and we're still hearing, you know, we're collecting data <laughs> or we're searching for this or, um, you know, we're, we're in the stages of that. It's, it's frustrating. Um, but that being said, there are some strong warriors out there who are pushing for that change and pushing against the status quo because they recognize that with the status quo, sometimes there's a lot of communities that are harmed by maintaining that um, instead of trying to amend it. And when you amend it, what are you actually doing? You're, you're showing growth. You're showing, you're showing that education is evolving, that it's, it's transforming. And shouldn't education be transformative? Right. Um, you know, reading, writing and arithmetic. That's what they told us when we was young. Those are that's what you're going to get from education. Um, why not community building? Why not um, mental health? Why not um, addictions counseling? Um, why not have um, in I won't even call it interventions. Let's call it reconciliation related to to the gang life that doesn't involve 
prison? Prison, law enforcement, um, carceral forms of, of, of engaging with communities. Could, can it be something that communities themselves decide upon? Um, and could that be accepted? These are things that we're currently addressing and questioning the system and saying, do you have answers? Because we do. Um, we're, are you willing to listen to ours? Um, when they say yes, I'll be the first to come here on this podcast and say that, yeah, things are going in that direction. But as of right now, I'd say it's about 50-50, hit or miss. Depends on where you go, what city you're in, um, what community you're in, who's the superintendent or assistant superintendent, or who's the education minister for a given amount of time, who's in power in terms of politics. All those things play a major factor, but the community itself is still always going to desire what we've always desired, and that's representation. And I don't think we're going to stop until we get there. Why do you think change is so hard to come by? For some people, change is scary. But if you know that change is going to bring you to a better place as a community, as a society, what's there to be afraid of? Right? The water is always scary before you know how to swim, but once you put your feet in there, it gets a little easier. And then you put your knees, and you put your legs, you put your hands in there, and you splash around a little bit. You know your boundaries. You don't dip your chin until you're ready. Then you hold your head underwater for a little bit. And then you're like, wait a second. Why don't I put my legs and my arms and my hands all together and navigate this new world and see how far I can get? Wait a second. Maybe I can watch others who've done that before and follow some of their strategies but incorporate some of my own. Hmm. Imagine. Now take that analogy and apply that to education. We still have a lot of people looking at the water saying we can't swim. Even though there's some of us who were born in the water. So, and I don't know, that's like me as a kid from the Caribbean. Like, you, you go back home, you swim in an ocean, period. You got to know, you got to learn that thing. You get your feet wet in the sand and you don't know it. Maybe you're going to get swallowed a little bit of water sometimes. But after that, you watch your OGs. They show you what to do. When you get in there, you change your own style. You navigate the water and you teach someone else. We need people to not be afraid of the water, man. Got to get in there. You got you to get from island to island somehow. And it starts with just getting your feet wet. Do you think we need... Well, I think the whole thing about representation is we need more of those teachers, more of those OGs, more of those people to say, hey, I know how to swim in the water. Yeah. I know how the water works. I know what's in there. You know? And I know some other guys, too, that know what the water's about. Right. Literally, as a BTA, that's how we started. We reached out to every elder. And we said, what did you guys want 40 years ago? What did you ask for? And it was challenging because we found that we were asking for things right now in 2022 that they were asking for in the 1980s. So the one thing that you and I have talked about already is that this new generation, we have access to, to social media, to multiple platforms. Um, I said to myself, in the 1980s, imagine if they had Instagram for our community. What could have happened? I mean, Rodney King was on TV, but that was like brought to you by NBC, ABC, or something. Imagine a community had a hold of that. Imagine they were able to do it in a responsible way. Imagine they were able to provide multiple perspectives and narratives related to that account. Imagine more people could speak about their own experiences about police brutality from that time as opposed to just one story that's being shared around the world because it was caught on camera. Now we live in an era where everything happens all at once and you can get that information as soon as you want it. We just talked about this podcast, how literally the turnaround day could be... Tomorrow, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. 30 years ago, we didn't have that. So what we're trying to do is take what the elders have asked, 
look at our own experiences, and then look at our babies. If our babies are still hearing certain words on the playground or still being called this or that or being equated to this animal or that animal or if our teachers are being questioned uh, based on <laughs> the experiences they have or where they come from, um, we have to look at the system with, a, with no veil. Take the veil off and show us exactly who we are and let's make it better. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that, you know, I think we always talk about this generation, right? Um, you know, young people and social media, and it's always negative. Mm-hmm. You know, anything, anytime we talk about the thing, the new things of this generation, or the, the capabilities of young people today, right. people always talk about it in a negative connotation. But if you start to wrap your head around the fact that, okay, these kids have more access to information, more access to community and I think that's one thing that we don't actually talk about a lot is that before without technology your communicate your community was relegated to your neighborhood right who lived across the street from you a newspaper if you're lucky if you had one in our community we had the Jamaica newspaper we flew it out and we'd you'd be at one restaurant one or two restaurants and if we wanted to get the information about the community we had to go to a restaurant but that was good because it was like you had to be in that place but now if you t- pull up your phone, and these kids, I give them the utmost respect. So I have to give a shout out to the to the Black Student Association at Emmy Lazard High School. Um, these kids have showed me so much. They've 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 expanded my mindset. They've shared stories, but they've also they've empowered themselves. Mm-hmm. They've empowered themselves, obviously with a little bit of facilitation from me, but even without me, they're empowered beyond anything I could have ever done at 16 years old, 17 years old, 20 years ago. Um, I think it's it's time for intergenerational work. I, th- I think it's, you know, we can't put it in the hands of the elders. They're trying their best. We can't put it in the hands of my generation. We got kids, and we're trying to hold down the elders on ourselves. And we can't put it in the hands of the youth because that's just not fair. Mm-hmm. That's not fair to these kids, man. But imagine we just did it together and then presented our challenges, our solutions to other groups who are willing to listen. So I would say for the kids, I don't I don't think what you're doing out there is overwhelmingly negative. I wouldn't even say it's like supremely negative. I would say that you guys are doing a very good job trying to navigate social media and the internet. Um, and I would see you're doing a better job than a lot of us adults. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That, you know, like you, you said an interesting word there. It's It's... They're feeling empowered. Yeah. Right? They're feeling empowered and they're taking things into their own hands because they have the access to the information. And young people nowadays are not ignorant. Not at all. They're not ignorant at all. They know exactly what's going on in the world. They know exactly how these systems work, you know, because they have such easily accessible information. Right. To understand the intricacies of society. Right. uh, Of things that we had to read four or five books on before we could actually have an expert not even an expert a a basic understanding of how it works these people these kids can watch a a five minute youtube video that summarizes all this they're on the cutting edge and i remember when i first became a teacher um our school had a twitter account and the twitter account like we were having some challenges engaging people so at one point in time i was brought on to be like the twitter um, what, what's the word? Twitter admin or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I just use practices we use in the community online. And within like a couple of weeks, months, we went from like hundreds to thousands. Um, but I remember in the initial stages, a lot of people, there was a lot of pushback because they were just like, well, what's the point of social media? What's the point of Twitter? What's the point? Oh, you made another post. That's great. And ha, 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 ha. In one year, in one year, that whole narrative changed because they recognized that this is a new way of empowering communities, schools, sharing voices, and providing parents with a glimpse of what their kids are going through on a daily basis. Think of every parent who was unable to go to like a basketball game or a recital or um, parent-teacher interviews or a field trip for whatever reason. We have kids in our community, their parents are working two, three jobs, night shifts, um, car driving services, um, you know, in hospitals, custodial services, whatever. All they have to do now is go to that Instagram page of that school and they can find like splinter <laughs> Instagram groups. You can go Lizard Social, Lizard Phys Ed, Lizard um, Athletics. Mm -hmm. You can find all of that. You can watch the highlights of your kid anytime you want. We didn't have that years ago. So I think that this is a very positive thing, 100% a positive thing, but um, it just depends on the buy-in. And I think for a lot of people, they need to, to, to not be afraid of buying into some of these platforms because there are tons of positives that can come from this. Tons. I agree, I agree. I think, I think sometimes, with like you were saying, with change, we're so focused on the negative. You know, mm -hmm. I know that from when I went to school, like school has changed completely, right. you know, from funding to programming to sports to just even the demographic right. has changed completely, you know. And, you know, what you were saying about change being such a scary thing, mm -hmm. you know, I think one of the things we've failed as a society to do is embrace change, mm -hmm. is embrace that okay well technology is advancing over here right okay how is it going to help schools and students and, and, and parents and stay involved with the com community yeah. right like now we have communities and this is what i love about the internet is that you can find a group of people that have the same interests as you same beliefs as you they don't have to live in the same city as you right, right? and that's obviously there's good and bad there's, there's pros and cons to that. But you know, that changes down to the school level, you know, how students are interacting with each right. other now, right? Because they're not always searching for acceptance from their peers. They can go and say, okay, well, here's a group of people that see things the way I see it, and I can have discussions. It's with. a support system. Absolutely. It's a support system. Um, <clears throat> when we started Black Teacher Association, the number one thing we wanted was a space to meet each other. It was never provided before. Never. And that's not me taking a shot at any institution. That's not me taking a shot at my employer. That's not me taking a shot even at education. It's just the fact that folks didn't understand that we wanted to meet each other. We wanted to hear our experiences. And we also wanted an opportunity to share like, hey, um, did you run into this challenge? What did you do? What was your strategy? To, to address that challenge. 
um, did a strategy work? If it didn't, what would you do the second, third time if it ever comes up? Mm-hmm. What advice would you give me as a new teacher coming into this game um, as a member of a BIPOC community? What advice would you give me, elders? And then for the kids, um, it's essentially them getting to see, well, wait a second, my teacher's not just the dude who taught me about Maximilian Robespierre or globalization or nationalism or um, internationalism or sovereignty and self-determination. This guy is actually has a life, you know, outside of education. He's got a family. He likes sports. Or, you know, my sister queen is involved with this community-led initiative called Cash Canada or Afro Quiz or the Canadian Museum of Human Rights. Um, Letting kids see that you could be multidimensional is huge because then they'll be like, well, I don't have to just focus on basketball or just focus on drama. I could be multiple things at once if I wanted to. And if I run into challenges in any of those other areas, here are some mentors readily accessible on this Instagram page. Mm-hmm. So we could do that. I am mean, obviously talking about BTA, but I mean, yourself, you're doing that right now. Bobby's doing that right now. Rochelle is doing that right now. Um, Keenan is doing that right now. Like everyone's just providing another access point for the community to build. Mm-hmm. It's important, man. It's important to see yourself in, 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 in different places, in different ways. You know, I always, I think I've said this a hundred times that everything comes back down to representation. You know, and, and when you see yourself in a different light that you never may have imagined yourself before, especially if you see someone do it, you know, there's power in seeing yourself as a teacher, as an educator, right, for another black kid, another BIPOC kid, to see that they can have that impact on their community. And it doesn't have to be with the basketball. It doesn't have to be with a microphone. It doesn't have to be on a television screen. It can be from something as accessible as a teacher right a teachers i always say teachers had the biggest impact on me growing up you know teachers there's teachers i could say that single-handedly saved my life right right and they're a very very important access point and contact point mm-hmm. for kids growing up you know you could say internet too right mm-hmm. because internet is we, Nobody knows what kids are doing on the internet. Nobody knows what adults... Nobody knows what anybody's doing on the internet at any time. There's no way to really monitor that. But you want to make an impact, start at the first point of contact. Mm -hmm. And that's the schools. Now you guys have taken... The BTA has taken this support system, right? And made it accessible, right? right? Using social media, using technology. So not only are you making this accessible for students... Right? right, but then other institutions can see. Oh, okay. Well, look at look at how they're using. There's been a lot media. of learning. There's been a lot of growing. There's been a lot of um, collaboration. So even like this year, we ran the first ever uh, Black Student Association Summit. Because it was the pandemic, we had to do it online. But even though it was online, we had over 25 schools in Alberta represented: junior highs, high schools. Um, we had. The black owned market coming as a vendor. We had, um, shoot, we had every, we had Mayor Sohi pulled up. Mayor Sohi was in a building. Shout MLA, out to Mayor Sohi. Shout out to Mayor Sohi. He's always supported me from the beginning of time, even before he was the mayor. Solid person. We'd love to see on this podcast too, Mr. Sohi. So let's drop that seat right there. <laughs> if you're listening, Mr. Sohi, come shout out to the gifted gab. It's up in the north side way. And I love you know uh, I love I know that you love Northside, so come on visit us. Um Dave Shepard was in the building. 
Ahmed Nomadic, Ahmed Nomadic was mm-hmm. in the house. We did that grassroots. I got on the phone. Like, okay, um, Ross Shepard, do you guys have a social justice group, anti-racism group, Black Student Association? Oh, you do? Okay, cool. Um, we're putting this on. Do you know anybody else? They're like, yeah, let's holler at Victoria. Okay, call Victoria Jason Edwards on the line, Misha. They say, yeah, we want to be involved. Um, who else can we get involved? Queenie. Call Queen Elizabeth, that's Northside. Okay, wait a second. There's another Northside school called Archbishop O'Leary. So then we hollered at our sister, Aquia. She's out there, um, one of the only black teachers out there. And she brought her group. It was an anti-racism group. And we met each other online. We spent two hours talking about what it means to be from our community. Two hours connecting, engaging with businesses and politicians and community leagues. Um... At the end of it, all the kids took a picture, and then we streamed all the pictures from the BTA Instagram and sent the pictures to the kids so they could see the other groups in the city. And they all said, every one of them said, man, I don't feel as alone no more. I don't feel like we're just in this hub in our school. There's other kids doing what we want to do. There's other kids addressing what's happening in society. They talk about the same things, brutality, colorism, um, the N-word, um, uh, differences in parental dynamics. Um, educational experiences, um, career ambitions. So we we made sure also to partner with every single university BSA as well. So we had McEwen, we had UVA, we reached out to Mount Royal um, because we want those kids to see the trajectory of their own careers beyond just this experience that we had where we met people from Calgary, people from uh, Catholic, public, private. We wanted them to have an opportunity to say, okay, well, maybe when I go to the city, I can, can connect with these youth. Maybe when I go to this university, I can meet with these people. Wait a second, that person was doing political science or that person was doing, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> um, acting or, or digital arts. I'm going to connect with them. This is organically done. And we've asked for this stuff for a billion times um, from various institutions. And it was, it was always like, well, we don't got the money. We don't have this. We don't have the resources. So we're like, we'll do it ourselves. And that's the transformative point of education at this point in time. You got to do it ourselves until people understand that this is a need and that they should buy into it. I hundred percent agree, and I think that's where the that's where the needle is moving, mm-hmm. right? Is that, like you said, grassroots mobilization? You know, you guys are on the ground, and you guys are able to say, you know what, we're just going to take this into our own hands and and figure it out ourselves. And usually, from what I've seen in my experience, those are the those organic grassroots organization and, and and being able to mobilize like that that's where the change comes from because up top the corporates the institutions you know all these structures that are already existing they're just going with the status quo right it, it, for I, I have to say this because I've worked a couple of different jobs in the last two years and I was able to see education from like five different directions. As a parent, as a teacher, as a consultant, um, as a member of the City of Edmonton's Anti-Racism Committee, and then also in my one-on-one interactions with my own community. And the, the biggest challenge we have addressed is obviously representation. But why aren't more people desiring the representation that we are asking for? It's only going to make education better. If we can speak English and French, why can't we not speak Cree or Somali or um, Swahili, you know, or Patois? 
Why can't we learn that in our schools? What, what's the downside? Mm-hmm. What's the downside? If everyone understands a few different languages, what's the downside? When I traveled overseas, everybody spoke at least one to two, three different languages. They had to learn. And when they did, they had a different understanding of this world, a different understanding of what our commitment to the world is, to humanity. Uh-huh. If we limit it just to one or two things, like math or, or, or a version of what English should be, English language arts should be, um, we're limiting experiences. We're limiting um, different understandings of human beings. So my suggestion to education is to, to broaden your understanding, broaden your horizons, um, introduce new things, tell different stories. You know, we are Canada, but we were also Turtle Island. And that's something I, I, I personally, myself, as, as you know, a, a child of, of newcomers who is now starting to understand a lot about our Indigenous communities, that... Um, you know, they, they've been asking for a whole lot. I mean, the Pope is here today. Today, yeah. Today. Mm-hmm. That started because a lot of people started speaking up and saying, look, come visit and see what it is and hear what we went through. Because for how many years, century, people said we were lying about residential schools. That's what the, my indigenous family been telling me, that they would explain their experience, what they went through. And people would be like, nah, man. Nah, man. They would never do that. So now, with so many people on social media saying, look, physical assault, sexual assault, discrimination, harm, verbal abuse, this was my kukum, this was my Muslim, this was my my mom, my dad, this was my grandma, my grandpa. These are the effects that we're still going through right now. The Pope being here, it's an indication that there's going to be more people coming back to this country to address what's happened here. And if not just... Canada or Turtle Island, as I call it, United States of America, too. In your opinion, do you think that, you know, obviously we've gotten, by telling the stories and, and, and giving the platform to hear what was, was happening with the Truth and Reconciliation right. Act and things of that nature, you know, do you think the Catholic Church is going to take responsibility for what was going on? Do you think that they're going to make amends? What do you, in your opinion, the Pope being here, right, starting his tour and whatever, right? Do you think it's just a beginning? Do you think it's just a? This is something for me personally, as an observer and obviously an educator, that I don't think we'll know until our Indigenous fam tells us. The Indigenous fam went through all of that still going through it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like for the black community when we collectively feel that things have shifted in a direction. Are there jobs available? Are there more social services? Um, have we addressed racism effectively? For each independent community, they will make that decision as well. A visit is a visit. That's great. What else? Mm-hmm. What else? Right? Um Let's say it's some type of um, some type of a crime happened and it was wrongful imprisonment. The person gets out of prison, but they lost how many years of their life? Mm-hmm. Time is right. Yeah. So it wouldn't just be to acknowledge the fact that we made a mistake and we bring this person back. It's to look at the current system and say, how are we currently perpetuating? The challenges that happened 30 years ago right now do the same for residential schools, do the same for um, the incarceration of indigenous people and black people, do the same 
for missing and murdered indigenous women. Do the same. Look back and say, okay, we did it this way. We amended it. We apologized. What are we doing now to change it? Period. It's deep, man. It's, it's, it's deep and it takes a lot of work. And I think, you know, um, we got to decolonize. It's a big, it's like my whole studies right now in social justice and about eight of the different courses that I took, we talked about decolonization and even decolonialism, right? So we're dealing with an action, we're dealing with an ideology, we're dealing with the system, we're dealing with um, practices. Um, some of the practices, some folks don't even understand that they're per perpetuating, but that doesn't take you out of the responsible and accountable role. You need to acknowledge it. So <laughs> my way of acknowledging it is simple. As I go up to people like in education, okay, um, how many indigenous teachers do we have right now? How many black teachers do we have? Um, how many um, food opportunities do we have for South Asian communities? Um, how much of an international influence do we see in the curriculum? Um, how many people are addressing the, the gaps in the curriculum publicly uh, that are in positions of power or authority and not just brave educators going to their social media platforms and saying it because they're waiting to hear it from somewhere else? Um, who's currently contesting some of the politicians that may not be addressing some of the gaps in education? Um, even addressing that there are gaps in education is, is, is troublesome. It's, it's, it's dangerous as an educator to do because somebody could say, well, wait a second, we can't have this person working here because then the kids are going to start to question everything. But suppose you didn't just say question everything, you said question everything from a humanitarian perspective, then things make sense. Speaking to Mike, yeah. Sorry, fam. No, you good, you good. It's true, you know, I mean, um, thinking about it, and you need to hit it around right the nail. It's the questions, you know. It's being comfortable to ask the questions and being comfortable to say, okay, and think critically and say, okay, well, it's not working. This isn't working. Okay. There's a, and this, I won't, Got you right there. This is perfect. There's a difference between operating and working. Mm. Machines can operate any time they want. Any time. But what does working look like? If there's a group of people that are continually being harmed or misrepresented or silenced to compromise for the quote-unquote majority, um... Is it a system that's operating or working? And that's something I, I actually pose in a, a lot of my studies is when I read everything that's happening in education around the world, not just Canada, not just United States, not just United Kingdom, or where the majority of some of these studies come from, um, operation versus working. For our community, working is um, saving lives. Mm -hmm. Saving lives, period. period. So until it gets to that point of working, then maybe we're just operating. We should we should consider other channels mm -hmm. and then you have always also have to ask you know what is the intention of these systems right i think that's one thing we don't really i think we talked about it summer of 2020 a little bit right but i don't think we've ever really addressed you know we do have these systems and they're operating what is their intention right what is their primary goal right because yeah like we were just saying about the university system, which is a colonial system, it's right. a European framework right. for educating, but there's money involved, which means capitalism is involved, right. which means that to become operational, you got to be making money, which means to make money, you got to charge fees. To charge fees, you got to have tuition. And then who is not getting 
access to some of these institutions as a result of their um, not having the capacity to 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 pursue funds to to enter into these programs that even then um, sometimes are very elitist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once the people are successful in elite institutions, um, are they speaking their voices or are they speaking the voice of the institution? It's challenging. These are conversations we need to have. Like the conversation we're having right now should be had in every single university and every single high school. And then, you know, when the youngsters in elementary start thinking a little bit critically too, they should question certain things mm-hmm. and not be afraid to and and have a teacher who's able to engage in a conversation and show multiple perspectives and not just the perspective that they were told to tell or that they believe in themselves. So I personally believe that the intent needs to be clear, but if the intent is harmful, change the intent altogether and start from scratch and whatever, whatever, <laughs> if you have money, you have money, you'll find a way to put it into something to make it good for everybody. So absolutely. Um, you know, before I think it was last year, there was talks about a new curriculum right here in Alberta. I wanted to ask you what your opinion was on that. I gave a, I gave a, <laughs> I gave a very good interview to, um, a high school in Edmonton, Lillian Osborne. Uh, I believe it was during Black History Month. And in the interview, uh, I had some choice things to say about the curriculum. <laughs> uh, because I was asked a point blank question. It was like, um, do you believe that the curriculum currently um, adequately addresses um, the experiences, the history, um, experiences history let's say highlights of the black community and i said no mm. point blank um got in a little trouble for that really <laughs> yeah well some people were just like well you know you got to be careful you know what you say you're a teacher and this and that but then i said well wait a second before i ever got a degree and before i ever got a contract before I ever went to school, um, I was born like this. And this contributes to my understanding of, of my reality, of, of society, and of the world. Now, there's ways that I can introduce things as a teacher that could share multiple perspectives and be vastly different from the curriculum. But I'm one black teacher in a school of 2000. And for many of us, that's the case. We're one or two in a school of a thousand or two thousand, and the hope is that a lot of people would would advocate for more voices. But it's very easy just to be like, okay, well, this is the textbook and this is what we're teaching. Mm-hmm. But when you do that, I mean, if it has this particular lens, for instance, a, a Eurocentric lens, and you do that for I don't know, ten, fifteen years of your career. That's a lot of kids believing that one narrative is the only way to exist in this world. So what I try to do is very conscious in my room is, is show multiple perspectives. Hey, young girl who wears a hijab, you can do anything you want. Hey, young child who identifies as to us LGBTQ, you can be whoever you want. Hey, black kid from Nigeria, from Ghana, from Botswana, from Zimbabwe, from Tanzania, from Somalia, um, from Jamaica, Trinidad, or Guyana, or Barbados, or Bahamas. Guess what? You fit in this society. Let's find out how. As a matter of fact, you're transforming society. Let's show you how. Those are conversations you got to have in social studies classes, in my opinion. 
abstractly re, re, um, restating facts from history, a predominantly Eurocentric history, um, you know, there's a purpose for that, but there's also a purpose in understanding world history um, and understanding that there were different names for Canada before they became Canada. There's a different name for the United States before they even the 13 colonies, a different name even long before that. Let's talk about those stories and gives us context. And then we better understand our brothers and sisters that are walking down the streets every single day. Mm-hmm. Period. Absolutely. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, you can root, you know, our, our, our when we talk about decolonizing, right? It's rooted in a certain ideology and a certain belief. Multiple. Multiple, right? Not to say that those beliefs are wrong. Mm-hmm. It's to say that there's more than one perspective, right? So it, why is it that we just assume that this is the only way to live and this is what holds up that status quo, right? When you start to incorporate all the other beliefs, all the other religious components, all the other, you know, groups of people that have occupied this land way before anybody else came in here, right? right? And you start to actually think critically about who is telling us or who is teaching us these things that we're supposed to know, right? Right. Where is it coming from, right? You start to deconstruct that and then you start to realize, okay, well, you know what? For me, personally, from all the history and all the things I've learned and thought, I've come to one conclusion. It's that the only religion and ideology to follow is the one of humanity, right? Mm -hmm. It's that there's brothers and sisters and they might have different skin colors, they may have different beliefs, they may have different whatever, but we're all human. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, that should be that. It doesn't matter if this guy is working here or is falling on hard times and is struggling, it's still a human across from you. Absolutely. And I think that's like the takeaway for for teachers and students and parents and community members. Um, like, yeah, I, I'm even just thinking about like the tournament that uh, we're running here. We, we essentially saw a need in the community and the community was so multi-ethnic, so multi-religious, multi-orientation, multicultural and um there was a need and it was a human need um we weren't just there to serve the black kids only we weren't just there to serve the muslim kids only we weren't just there to serve the north side kids only it was like hey guys we have an event we want you to come and have fun have fun play the game you love we'll make it ultra special for every single one of you guess what bring your grandparents let your mom come in the lawn chair come and sit down you want to talk to the director? Talk to the director. You want to talk to the people who are um, giving you food, like burgers and dogs and stuff? Talk to them. Um, guess what? Oh, my God, there's that teacher from Rochep. Oh, there's that teacher from O'Leary. There's that teacher from um, Harry Ainley. Oh, there's that kid who signed to go play at Concordia. Oh, there's that guy who played for Concordia. You know what I mean? There's that, oh, there's that University of Alberta guy. What's his name again? Oh, that's right, Sarsapa. That's right. Who's the other guy? Oh, that's Matt Cardosa. That's right. Wait, what is it? Who the handsome brother? That's Andre Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out my guy, Andre So Kelly. Andre, you know what I mean? When, <laughs> when the kids get to see everybody just enjoying the game that they love, um, those are things that schools can do anytime. Like last semester was a rough one. Like I'm wearing these shades right now. I, I hurt my eye actually. Um, There's an accident at our school. And... You know, I had some big conversations with my principals and with my staff about things that we can do to make situations better. And one of them was just like, let's be more inclusive. 
if the kids want to do something, let's find a way to make it work. Let's bring their parents in. Let's support them. Um, but again, like it's, it, it, I hate to put that all on a teacher or two teachers or three teachers or four teachers. This is something that as a system education, we need to reevaluate and reflect and, and, tr and try our very hardest to incorporate, um, to bring us into the future and then the future of the future. Period. We gotta invest in the future, right? I think we 100%. gotta always, always do whatever we can to make sure that tomorrow is better than today, and that comes by investing in people, investing in community, you know, providing the resources, providing the the, the, the individuals to come in these places and just make change. Mm -hmm. And you brought up the tournament. Yes, let's, sir. Let's talk about the tournament. Let's talk business now. <laughs> <laughs> Proud of the North Side. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Year thirteen. Talk to us, man. What, what, what's, what's happening August 13th and 14th? We, um, man, COVID-19 hit everybody differently. Um, for our tournament, we had a lot of kids um, in my community, particularly North Edmonton and Emmy Lazert, that were not not well um, physically, um, mentally as well. There were some challenges that came with COVID. And in that first year during COVID, we decided that we were going to pause. The second year we were ready to go, but then we heard some news that around the summertime it was like you can't have more than 20 or 50 people at certain events. So you had to shut down a second year. This year is our first year back since COVID-19. And with this year, it's really special because we're getting a lot of the sponsors back, a lot of the teams back, and a lot of the community members back. So August 13, 14, we're going to have a slam dunk competition, 10-foot and 9-foot three-point competition for the youngsters and the OGs. Got tons of prizes for the kids. We're going to have our first ever Pride of the North community market. Shout out to Man Bars and, you know, big up <laughs> him and an amazing company you guys got here as well as Gifted Gab. And we're just bringing the community together, giving us another opportunity to play the game that we love and also to... to to get back to that feeling of of summer events in our city and it started with klondike days and taste of edmonton and care west will be the week before pride north we never conflict with them because that's my community mm -hmm. i never step on toes but august 13 14 we'll see every single person in the city come down and support and there's like spectators anybody can come just have fun and show love to these kids well you guys here to hear first man pride of the north side we back august 13th and 14th let them know where we can find you, man. Tell us where we can follow the work of the Black Teachers Association, where we can keep up with any news if we wanted to sign up for the, uh, the, the Pride of the North Side. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say Black Teachers Association. Both. Maybe that too. Both. Um, just go to at Andrew Parker AGP on Twitter and Instagram, and then just go hashtag Pride North or go to www.andrewgparker.com. It's the hub for like BTAs, the hub for um, the basketball camps, and as well as the Pride of the North. Registration deadline is, I believe, the 11th because we got to make a schedule so y'all can play your games. So please, please, please sign up, register, register, register. And it's open to everyone across the city. It's not just the North. We're just our gracious hosts and we want to see your beautiful faces. So moms, dads, kids, brothers, sisters, he, she, they, them, everybody come through. We love you. Come and support the North. We're going to be there. We're going to be in the cut. You guys know how we do. Just like that, man. We got Andrew Parker here from Black Teachers Association. Proud of the North Side. Thank you so much for coming here, man. Really appreciate when you're here on the show. We're going to have you a few more times. Appreciate you, my king. And shout out to everybody that worked on this amazing episode today. I love all y'all. Y'all are the best. Peace and love, Edmonton. You're done, no? <laughs> <laughs> Just like that, we gone.